Thanks for checking out this message from Radiant Life Church. Grab your Bible and a pad of paper and a pen. Let's dive in. Well, if I've not met you, my name's Ryan, and I'm our vision and teaching pastor here at Radiant Life, and it's good to have you guys here this morning. Thanks for dealing with our traffic flow as <laughs> it was just cool what happened at the nine o'clock service. And uh, I, I, I'm not going to apologize, but I am going to say thank you <laughs> for dealing with that crossover, because I never want to apologize for what the Lord's doing in a moment. Um, so I just want to say thanks for being patient. Because patience is part of the fruit of the Spirit, <laughs> all right? Remember that. So uh, thanks for that. It's been great. Uh, we are on part four of our teaching series called Reclaiming Holiness. And uh, before we get there, let me just say, today's going to feel different, look different. I just realized as I was worshiping with you down front over there, uh, I just realized, you know what? Expect the unexpected. This is radiant life, right? Like just listen, there is no cookie cutter service. There's... And I've been talking to leaders around the nation and getting together with groups and hearing them online and actually meeting them in person of other denominations and really feeling like, what are you sensing the Lord telling you guys as well? And there's a sense that's going to happen and I can't wait for it. I have an expectant heart for it. That church will look different in the next five years or so. I think it's going to be great. And here's why. Because we are so accustomed to three songs up front, message, 50% of you leave as soon as the message is over, and then a closing song and we're done. Right? I mean, right? That's, that's the American service. Does that make sense? All right? I'm not, I'm not putting shame on you. That's the American service. That's what happens. Right? What we believe that the Lord has been stirring within the church is a heart to come back to him and seek him in the service. So what that means is exactly what we just experienced a minute ago. What would it look like to just do a few songs together and we get and we share the table, the Lord's communion together, and then we do more worship and then we break up into groups and we have prayer prompts and we're just in groups praying with one another. We're laying hands and healing the sick. We're doing baptism all the time. What would that look like? What would it look like to just say, Holy Spirit, come and forget my ways because your way is better? What would it look like if the American church was to wake up and sing the song, make room and say, God, truly tear down my tradition of what church should look like because that's man-made to begin with. And we just want to seek after you. I know seven of you clapped. Because the other 400 people in this room are scared out of their mind. Because we've held on to this is comfortable, but God never calls us to the comfortable. He calls us to his holiness in his way, and it means get up and get stretched. Oh, it's about ready to come off. <laughs> I'm just saying. I love you. I'm just saying. Whoo. I'm so excited for it. I am. I think it's going to be awesome. I, ah, uh, we got a little bit of a teaching to get to today. <laughs> so if you got your Bible, part four of our series titled Reclaiming Holiness. Holiness. If you could ask, Ryan, what's one word to describe God? If I had a non-believing person say that, it would be holiness. 
It would be the summation of the characteristics of all of the characteristics of God. Holiness. It's who he is. So if you've got your Bible, your tablet, your phone, turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 7. It's found in the New Testament. We're going to anchor there. That's going to be our home base today. Second uh, Corinthians chapter 7. I've titled this message, Do I Have Godly Sorrow? Do I Have Godly Sorrow? As you turn to 2 Corinthians, it's found in the New Testament. You got four guys on the front end. You have Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John who write about the life of Jesus. They're known as the gospel writers. Then after Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, you have the book of Acts, which is about the actions of the early church and the apostles as they spread about Jesus. Then you have Romans, which is a letter to all the Christians in Rome and the house churches there. Then you have 1 Corinthians, then 2 Corinthians. Corinthians is written to a Christian's at the church in what's known as Corinth, which is a port city in, in, uh, in uh, present-day Greece over there. It's, it's a port city. And in there, we have a guy who wrote this letter by the name of Paul. Now, you and I, as we read Scripture, are introduced to Paul as Saul when we first hear about him in the book of Acts. What is this man doing We are introduced to him as Saul because he's going around persecuting Christians. He wants to imprison them. He can't stand this Jesus movement. He thinks it's wrong and he's trying to stomp it out. And he's on his way to a city called Damascus with papers in hand in order to arrest the Christians. And he has an encounter with God, the living Christ, right there. And his life is radically changed. And he gets a name change from Saul to Paul. Now he's known as Paul. Here's what's awesome. He goes from persecuting the church to planting churches. That's the God we serve who can take something ugly and make it beautiful. And that's who we serve. And he is writing to the Christians in Corinth. In fact, we think there's about four letters that he wrote to them based upon 1st and 2nd Corinthians having some little nuggets or clues to tell us how many letters Paul has actually written to them. We have 1st Corinthians. 1st Corinthians says, and it mentions, my previous letter I had written to you. Oh, so that means 1 Corinthians is actually 2 Corinthians. Now, some of you are like, oh, I'm lost now, right? If we believe 2 Corinthians is probably 3 Corinthians, there's some evidence, not fully, but could be 4 Corinthians, actually. But we just don't have those other letters. You know why? The Lord didn't need us to have those letters. We have exactly the sufficiency that you and I need right here in Scripture, Right, But there you go, Bible nerd with me. Let's have fun. Second <laughs> right. Corinthians chapter 7. Paul is writing to the Christians. Remember this. He's writing to Christians in Corinth. And he's telling them how to live this life. He's actually doing a lot of course correction with the church in Corinth. Because here's what's happening in the church in Corinth. They're doing a lot of weird things that they think is spiritual, but it's not they're elevating certain gifts above uh, spiritual gifts above other gifts. There's a little bit of chaos in their church, and Paul's just course correcting them to say, "Hey, we believe in the spiritual gifts, but there's order. 
God is a God of order, not chaos. And so when the lost person comes off your street and enters your church, the problem is when you act all weird, they're going to think God is weird. And he says, there's order. There's, there's spiritual gifts that we believe, but we also believe in order, right? First Corinthians definitely goes after that. And I promise you this, we believe in the spiritual gifts that the Holy Spirit does give us. But we, we, I pray that you would trust us in the order that it's done. And not everyone can't just say, oh, I got a prophetic word, and someone just pops up and starts speaking. That's actually out of order. If you ever get a word, which was cool, so cool. We had two words last service. Okay, this is why we pastors sit up here. Come and share the word with us. Come and share it. We are, we are the shepherds of the service. We know where the Lord is taking us, but we do believe the Lord uses you as well. Right, And sometimes there's a word for the moment. Other times, it's a word for a later day. Ooh, it's so fun. Here's what's cool. Side note, I promise we'll get into this message. It's a short one, right, Pastor Brandon? It's short. It's short. Um, it, re- it really is. Unless I go on rants. <laughs> um, and now I forgot what I was saying. The Lord took it. There, it's done. I really have no idea what I was going to say. It's not for us. All right, here we go. Before we jump in, he's course correcting. And there's a thing that we're going to look at. It's this idea of being a half, having half-hearted devotion. We're talking about holiness, and we've been using an illustration of water in a container. To be set apart, not to look like the world. And sometimes the, the dirt gets into us. And my question last week, if you were here, was, why does the dirt get in there in the first place? The Spirit helps us with the dirt. But why is it here to begin with? And I argued last week, one point is because we don't have a reverence and awe of our God. Today, I think it also gets in there because of those two, three words. Half-hearted devotion. For 2 Corinthians 7, 1 reads this way. So then, dear friends, since we have these promises, stop right there. What promises are we talking about? You got to read the previous chapter, 2 Corinthians chapter 6. It talks about the promise that you and I are going to be the indwelling vessels of the Spirit of God and that you and I are not to have worldly influences. We are to be set apart from the world. And these are the promises that Paul is talking to the Christians. And he says this, man, if you got a highlighter or a pen, get it out. Ready? Let us cleanse ourselves. And who is he talking to? Christians. Let us cleanse ourselves from every impurity of the flesh and the spirit. This gets good. What is he talking about? That's why I'm here to tell you. He's talking about a cleansing that needs to take place in the Christian's life. And there's two types of cleansings that the Christian encounters in its walk with Christ. I'll explain to you on the screen. You have a main cleansing that happens and you have a participation cleansing that happens from our iniquity, from the sins in our lives. And the main cleansing is this, and I'm going to throw some theology doctrine terms at you, okay? Main cleansing is this. This is when God comes to us when we trust in Jesus and his work on our behalf. This happens at salvation, The moment you and I accept Christ as Lord and Savior, 
Believe in him. We have a washing of forgiveness of our sins that takes place. And now you and I have justification, which is the word that you and I are now justified, legal declaration that we are in right standing with God now because of Jesus Christ. Does this make sense? You and I, the moment of salvation, had that initial cleansing. When God looks at you, he doesn't see your sin. It's forgiven. He sees his son. You are clothed. You are imputed with Christ's righteousness. It is now upon you and I. But there's participation cleansing that happens after salvation. This participation cleansing is when it comes to us, when God looks for us and awaits our will and effort. This is known as sanctification. It's the process that the Holy Spirit looks inside and says, hey, there's some dirt inside of you that doesn't look like Jesus. Let me reveal it to you and we can get it out of your life. But it's all based on your participation. Because the issue is, what happens is when things get welled up and we see it, we like to go under a rock and pretend like it's not there. It's the participation cleansing that Paul is addressing here. That Christians, because they already had their main cleansing, they're saved. He says, you got to purify yourselves from the iniquity of the sins of the flesh and spirit. And here's an issue. If we only stay right here, which I believe a lot of Christians are, they stay right here under the main cleansing. This is the result. It's a half-hearted devotion and cleansing. What we like about this moment the main cleansing that comes down upon me is this. I am saved from my sins because they are bad. I don't like them. And I get eternity with Jesus and I don't have to go to hell. And then our growth stops right there. But I'm saved. I don't need anything else. And we have done a horrible job within the capital C church of teaching people sanctification and the work of growing into the image of Jesus Christ, which then begins to move here under participation cleansing and says, Holy Spirit, reveal things deep inside of me that aren't of you so I can be Jesus where I work, live, and play. I can be Jesus at home. Help me be Jesus where I work. Help me be Jesus at school and on the sports team. What's going on? Jesus, help me be a better dad. Help me be a better father. A better husband, a better coworker, a better friend. Help my neighbors that don't know you see Jesus in me. Help me get there. And that's the cleansing Paul's talking to the Christians. You got to participate with the Holy Spirit. Uh, theologian Adam Clark says this How can those expect God to purify their hearts? who are continually indulging their eyes, ears, and hands in what is forbidden 
in what tends to increase and bring into action all the evil propensities of the soul. See, we want cleansing. But I love, as theologian Adam Clark says, the problem is you want the cleansing, but you keep putting your hand in the cookie jar. Why do you keep going back? You keep grabbing things out of the cookie jar and you expect a cleansing? Well, I'm saved. I'm good, right? And then he says, the impurity of flesh and spirit. There's sins of the flesh and sins of the spirit, the spirit being lowercase. Remember, we, we are a spiritual being. Okay? When you and I go to heaven, our soul doesn't go to heaven, our spirit does. Clear language. The soul is the personification of everything who we are. It's your, how your personality gets played out, how your temperament, it's the soul, it's who you are. It's who makes me, me, and how I play out in the world. It's Ryan, but my spirit goes to heaven. My physical body decays and goes away. And in it, there's two differentiating contrasting things here. Here's the first, is the sins of the flesh. This is the sins that are outward sins that you and I see. It's what we see when we think of a prostitute, a tax collector back in the biblical times. You see an outward sin. You see the outward sin of gossip as well, right? You see the outward sin. It's considered the sins of the flesh, but then there is the sins of the Spirit. One theologian has said, these are the sins that is the mother of all sins. These are the sins that come from your heart that perhaps no one sees. Sins of pride. Man, let me talk to you for a moment. We've allowed too much pride to creep into our heart. And you know what our response is? Especially in maybe perhaps some church services. I'm not going to raise my hands in worship. Pastor can't tell me what to do. Uh, a pastor asked during prayer to go like this. I'm not doing that. Can I just say that's pride? That's pride. Because pride ultimately is you becoming the master of you. I'm not, tell, I'm not doing what the government tells me to do. Even though it's not anything that goes against scripture that you and I have a basis to stand up against. But you say, I'm not doing that. It's pride. It's absolutely pride. And no one knows but you. May the Lord crush the spirit of pride that's on us. May he crush it. Because it's devastating. I had someone, you you read scripture, right? And you see like King David. Uh, There's a moment where King David Dances before the Lord. <laughs> he, he 
<laughs> dances before the Lord. He gets naked. Uh, his wife is mad that he's doing that, like you're an embarrassment. And he's like, I'll, I'll even come more undignified than this. I will dance. You know what I see David worship when I look at scripture? It's a man that in worship is all out to seek God. It's a man that doesn't look around to say, you know what? I'm afraid of what my wife may think if I raise my hands. I'm afraid of what my neighbor's going to think if I come down to the altar or if I cry out. I'm afraid. Has pride crept in? What about legalism? Legalism is a sin of the spirit. It's what the Pharisees, the, the religious people that Jesus went after highly, it's what they were known for is their legalism. Right? Last week we talked about what's the big thing that we talked about in worship. We said we worship with an awe and reverence of God. And you know what? I know some of us, and this is a beautiful thing, and this is saying, hang on for, with me just for a moment. JB, Pastor JB was wearing a hat during worship. Right? And some of you are offended that a hat is worn in here. Okay? Just let that, hold on, don't respond yet. <laughs> okay? Some of you are. Please hear me. As soon as you get 100% caught up and think someone on stage shouldn't wear a hat, you've lost your heart in worship already. You've came in with the wrong thing and attacking the wrong thing when you should walk in and say, I don't care if they're in blue jeans, a four-piece coat, four-piece coat, four, three-piece suits. Um, it doesn't matter. What matters is the heart. Right Now, please lean in. Sometimes our generational norms become dogma for us. Right? So here's what I mean by that. There's a generation, which is many of you, that is a generation of a, a norm of that generation is the hat comes off as respect. Right? That's a generational norm. I would do that in your presence. I did that in my parents' presence when I prayed because that's their generation. I would take off my hat and pray. If I wear a hat... I don't take off my hat and pray. Normally, I don't. I, I do not do that. But if I'm around you and know it would be respectful to you, I, I may do that. But here's what's awesome. Did you know JB, Pastor JB, during the set, felt the Lord say, hey, take off your hat and felt the prompting of the Spirit, and so he chose to. That's what matters most, is that our worship leader is in tune with the Spirit and his heart is right in worship than us being critical about a personal conviction that we're making dogma. Three claps that time. I thought I would progress from like seven to 20. I've gone down. <laughs> so that's what I'm just saying. Just be careful that we put personal convictions as dogma when scripture doesn't say those things, right? All right, that's all I want to say. Lord Jesus, help us. All right, sins of the flesh, spirit. And then the worship team, don't come up yet, but I'll call you in just a moment. Uh, Self-righteousness, allowing a root of bitterness to grow up in your heart that no one else sees but you. Hatred in your heart. Watch your tongue. Uh, Morgan, theologian, Dr. George Morgan says this. There is a defilement of the spirit which is independent of the defilement of the flesh. The spirit 
can be defiled in many ways. I sometimes think that the sins of the spirit are more deadly than the sins of the flesh. And then pastor theologian Charles Spurgeon says, I wish we were more concerned about cleansing ourselves from the filthiness of the spirit. Remember, cleanse ourselves from every impurity. Who's he talking to? Christians, this participation cleansing that comes from the flesh and the spirit. And then he says, watch this. Here's the summation. Bringing, as a result, bringing holiness to completion in the fear of God. Do you see the fear of God? We talked about it last week, reverence and awe. Reverence and awe. He says you have, you'll have the completeness of holiness with the reverence and awe and a cleansing inside of you away from the iniquities of the spirit and the flesh. And you read more and more of chapter seven and you realize there's an abiding sense of God's presence with an awe and reverence of him. That's the source of our holiness. Worship team, make your way up. It's the source of our holiness. We realize that who indwells me, the presence of God, I wouldn't want that dirt in my life because I know him and I know the holiness of him who dwells within me and I know who I approach and there's a God that is an all-consuming fire on the throne and I have a reverence and awe of him. This leads to the completion of holiness. This idea to be set apart to look different than the world. And then if you jump to verse seven, I'm sorry, verse nine, Paul will say this. I now rejoice, not because you were grieved, because he did some course correction and he hears that they're grieving over what they were doing. I now rejoice, not because you were grieved, but because your grief Watch this. Your grief led to repentance. That's what I'm rejoicing over. It led to repentance. For you were grieved as God willed so that you didn't experience any loss from us. Our grief of knowing the dirt that gets inside of us, that godly sorrow that comes when we realize that sin And it should bring a sorrow and a grief upon us that leads us to repentance. And how many of you know you can be sorry for your sin without repenting from your sin? (laughs) You can feel the weight and the sorrow, but repentance is another thing. A repentance is a turn in direction in your walk in life. You can't keep having your hand in the cookie jar and just say, sorry, 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 sorry. Because those are just words. It's not from the heart. And sometimes we'll say sorry because we're more sorry that we got caught than we are about the sin. Verse 10. For godly grief or sorrow, depending on your translation, produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret, but worldly grief produces death. Here's what I've noticed 
think for many of us that we come into spaces and we may feel sorry, but we don't do anything about it. It felt right in the moment. And I think sometimes the church, this is what we get a lot. On a Sunday morning experience together, we get a lot of worldly grief. The moment of, oh, I'm sorry. But it leads to death because we don't do anything about it. There's not a change in your heart. There's not a change in your mind. There's not a change in your walk. Godly sorrow brings the repentant sinner to tears of grief that I realize God you have filled me I'm indwelled with your presence it's the holy water living water inside of me and I don't want the dirt in there and when it does I'm grieved because I know the father and it grieves the father and last week we talked in Hebrews by it We may serve God acceptably with reverence and awe. For our God is a consuming fire. Brother, sister, confession speaks, repentance walks. It's time to start walking in repentance. No more half-hearted devotion. Holy Spirit, I'm getting in on this partial cleansing or this participation cleansing. I'm all in. Confession is wonderful. We need it. We need to confess. Don't lose the art of repentance that comes from here. A change in heart, a change in direction, a change in your mindset. Let me ask you a question. What are you letting God, or are you letting God have all of you? Or is there still some dirt? Is there still some dirt? Some grit? That you've been holding on to in your hand. You know what that is. You know that sin. You know that thing that you just keep grabbing in the cookie jar. Here's what we're going to do. It's going to look different for the next 10 minutes or so. I'm going to encourage you, please don't leave. Listen, the Lions play at 6.30. You got time. You got plenty of time. We won't be here till 6.30. Okay? I don't want you to leave to miss a moment that God may use in your life and you got out of here too quickly. So here's what we're going to do. Prayer partners, will you please go to your um, spots? If there's any staff that wants to pray up front, will you please go to one of your spots as well? Staff, if you're in the room. Are you letting God have all of you? Our staff and prayer partners are here with you to serve you. Maybe you need to come to the altar and just confess some things and just maybe you need to come and say, God, I just want more of you. I'm not letting you have all of me. I want more of you. Maybe for some, it's just you do need to go down to the prayer partners over on the corners and just say, hey, I I just need you to lift me up in prayer for whatever. But also for some, if you notice, you're like, why is the baptism tank here? We just felt like this Sunday was a great Sunday for spontaneous baptism. 
that for some of us, this is a half-hearted devotion because baptism isn't a salvation thing. But you can't unmarry when you read the New Testament salvation and baptism. They went hand in hand. And about 100 to 200 years ago, the church got away from that. There's always salvation and baptism. And I'm confused sometimes as to why the church, the capital C church, the universal God Christian church, why have we separated the two now? Where we get saved and then maybe like 20 years later, then you get baptized. I don't, because I read scripture and please hear me. I read scripture. I constantly see salvation and the first step of our obedience and our faith is to get baptized. You want to know the what you got saved? You go what? Where is God calling me to? I'm going to tell you. It's immersion through water. It's your very first act of obedience out of salvation, and it's symbolic of you are dead to your old life and you are raised with Christ. And now it's a, a walk with the Spirit of God to be on mission with Him as He cleanses you to look like Jesus Christ. And so Pastor Brandon is going to be here and we're going to sing a song together called Gratitude. I pray that this song would bring all the gratitude you have inside of you to say, Jesus, I'm all in with you. No more half-hearted devotion. I'm letting you have all of me. And maybe that movement for you is hands raised for the first time in worship. Maybe it's the first time you come to the altar and you get some sin and say, I don't want that in my life anymore. I need prayer. I need to go get baptized. I haven't done that yet. Maybe that's for you. But I'm asking, are you letting God have all of you? Everything of who you are. Thanks for listening to this message from Radiant Life Church. To get to know us better, check out theradiantlife.church. Be sure to follow us on Facebook, YouTube, and Instagram.